was weak. Good morning. There it is. All right. Let's stand. Let's greet one another. Let's welcome one another. Get to know somebody that you've uh, never met before. morning. You can have a seat. seat. We are glad that you are here this morning. Got a few announcements uh, for us. Uh, The first is uh, if you're a guest with us, thank you for uh, coming and joining us this morning. There should be a guest card in a seat back very close by. Ask that you would take just a moment, uh, take that card, fill it out. At the end of our service, we'll have an offering. We want you to give uh, that as your offering. We'll get some information to you about River Bend. We're glad that you're here today and look forward to what God has in store for us. On your way in, hopefully you received this sheet of paper. It's got all of our announcements on there. Um, We've got a Christmas service tonight uh, at 6 o'clock. We're going to sing. We will uh, also partake of the Lord's Supper and would love for you to come and be a part of that. Um, 6 o'clock this evening. Uh, Next Sunday morning after the service, we will have a family meeting, and uh, the sole purpose of the family meeting is to vote on something that looks like this, which is the 2014 proposed church budget. On your way out today, we have copies for you to look at. If you have questions about any of those things, you can talk to myself, you can talk to uh, Kurt, um, you can talk to uh, any of our leadership team, and uh, we'll get some information information or some answers to you about that, but uh, that will be following next Sunday morning's service, Um, so we want you to be a part of that. Uh, Recharge service this Wednesday night, we're going to have breakfast for supper, and uh, we're looking forward to that. We'll also uh, have the opportunity to share that service with our Hispanic church plant. I will be preaching, and Jason, um, one of the pastors there at the church, will be Uh, translating that into Spanish. So um, it ought to be interesting. Usually when I uh, have a translator, it takes me about four days to get used to the rhythm. So it ought to be fun this Wednesday night to try it out. Um, Come and see the train wreck, maybe. Um, Want you to be here for that. Uh, Women's Bible study it's happening on uh, Mondays at 6.30. Um, you can talk with Miss uh, Teresa Keener. Uh, she is there. And also youth and youth parents. You need to sign up for D now. You need to sign up for D now. 
It is $40 right now. If you uh, register, you don't have to pay that at the moment, but if you don't register before December the 23rd, it goes to $50. Got one more announcement. Mr. Bourne, come on up. I don't want to talk about myself, so you can talk about myself for a second. Father, we love you, and God, we thank you. Lord, you are so good. Your love endures forever. Our, our focus, Lord, is uh, looking at this time of year, each and every year, at the coming of the Messiah, at the coming of your Son. Thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent him. Thank you for uh, paying the price that we could not pay for reconciling us back to you. And Lord, I, I pray that as uh, we have come into this place, it, it's not a coincidence that we are here, that you have us here today. Father, would you uh, speak to our hearts Father, as we sing words that are going to be on the screen, as we sing songs, will we do more than just allow a vibration to go through our vocal cords and to come out of our mouths? Father, might it be worship to you, the only living God, the only worthy one of our worship. As we look at your word, would you speak? Draw us close to you, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we worship? Romans 1 uh, talks about how uh, that all the world can look and see and see in creation that they can see God's invisible attributes. They can see everything about God. They can see his power. And they can see his sovereignty. But it still says that people worship the creation rather than the creator. And I think about like weekends like last weekend where it's completely covered in ice. Uh, and I think about, man, God is so sovereign, so powerful. He knows what he's doing. And when the rain falls, he provides for the grass, everything. Psalms, uh, all throughout Psalms, David writes about how and pleads for all of creation to come and worship him. You know, creation groans uh, for his coming. They groan for his second coming, his return. That when we come and we stand and we fall before him one day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Man, what a great day that that will be. We're going to sing these words, how great thou art. I pray that we would sing it with everything that we are. Lord, how great you are. And we give praise to the only one who is worthy of it. Let's sing these words. 
Let's read these words from the screen. Let's read these words together. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. You know, I was studying this morning, and I saw this last phrase, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. David says this at least five times throughout the different Psalms. This is, apparently, this is part of the heart of David. He prays that God would be exalted among all the nations, that his glory be over all the earth. You know, the beautiful thing is he's coming to return. He's coming to reign, right? Man, what a beautiful day. And as we celebrate this season of his coming to us, to dwell among us, man, we look forward to his return and his reign, right? Let's sing these words. Sing to the king who's coming to reign. everything that we have. Satan is vanquished and Jesus is
sing those words one more time. Come let us sing a song. Man, let's hear each other's voices as we sing it out. We are the redeemed. We have been adopted. We have a reason to celebrate. Come let us sing. Oh, come let us sing a song. A song declaring that we belong to Jesus. He's all we sing these words. 
beautiful they are, Father, that you, God, would take on flesh, you'd come and dwell among us, you'd be our Emmanuel. And Father, that you would come, that you would die, and you'd live a perfect life, and you'd die the death that we deserve. You took upon the wrath upon yourself that we deserve. And God, how beautiful that is. God, I pray. God, that we will live a life. Father, that in every way, God, pleases you. God, I pray, Father, that our heart's desire would be to see your name lifted among the nations, lifted here in Hernando. God, I pray, Father, that we would be disciples of you, your passion, and that we long to see your glory exalted. Father, speak to us now as we hear from your word. God, we love you. We praise you. All those things we ask in your son's name. any of you saw a Facebook post that I made this week asking you to come and hear as I try to uh, finish the book of Revelation um, before the end of the year, I have come to the conclusion that I will never do it justice if I do that. Not to say that I won't do it justice or have done it justice thus far, but there's no way to get from chapter 15 verse 1 through the end of chapter 22 in three sermons for them to mean anything. So we're going to have to slow down and, uh, and that's fine. That's fine preaching to myself saying that that's fine uh, but uh, you know this season is one where we we think about the coming of Christ and we think about him coming as a baby but even in that coming there was a prophecy and most of revelation is prophecy I want to read for you a uh, portion, my favorite, I read this last night, or, or actually we read this last night as a family, and I, I stated that this is my favorite part of the birth story of Jesus out of Luke chapter 2. I want to read that for us, and then we'll look at uh, Revelation 15 and 16 and try to tie a little bit of that together. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, down through verse 33, is where Jesus is presented in the temple to a man by the name of Simeon. And the words that Simeon has for Mary and Joseph. Follow as I read. The verses won't be on the screen, but uh, just listen to this story and this prophecy. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up 
to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Try to tie it in, and we'll look over in Revelation. Here was a prophet, Simeon. If you read the next passage, the next paragraph, there is a prophetess, Anna, who comes and sees Jesus as well and is uh, allowed by God to speak into Mary and Joseph's life. All along, God had men and he had women who were telling, hey, here's what's going to come about. John is one of those. He is looking forward at the end of civilization as we know it and he is recording numerous pictures visions sightings of what God has in store but the prophecy of Simeon and the prophecy of others who spoke of Christ not only about his first coming but also about his second coming still ring true and they ring true in the two chapters that we're going to look at this morning in Revelation chapter 15 and Revelation chapter 16 in these 29 verses we are going to see a portion of this prophecy come about. The verses will be on the screen and uh, you read along silently as I read them aloud for us. But key in and try to catch a glimpse of this picture or there's a number of pictures actually. In chapter 15, there's this picture of a worship service. And also in chapter 16, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, but also in chapter 16, in the middle of all this wrath that is being poured out, there is worship. But also see what the believers are to be about in doing. 
Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just as you, excuse me, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, and for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water dried up to prepare the way of the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. 
Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple and the throne saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and great earthquakes, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake, the city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. And great hailstones about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Lord, this passage, this passage is a hard passage. Father, this passage is a passage that We look at it and we see just utter destruction. What are we to do? What is the church, what are your sons and your daughters to do as this is spoken? As this comes about. Father, I pray that you would uh, use this time. You would allow us this morning to see what we are to be about doing, what we are to be doing now, what we are to be doing until you come or until we go to see you. Until you bring this about and we see this face to face or until we see you face to face. God, we love you and Father, I once again just confess you as my Savior, as my Lord. I once again bow my knee. I once again confess with my mouth that you are Lord of my life. Would you speak this morning to your people? Draw us close to you. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Before we get into these two chapters I've got two points for us this morning, but first I would like to review uh, for just a moment. The book of Revelation, the 14 chapters that we have looked out, looked at previous to this, and the ones that we have ahead to look at, the book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic, if I can talk this morning, visions filled with prophetic pronouncements written to a congregation. It's written to a church. It is a prophecy and multiple prophecies of things that are coming. But at the same time, it is written to a first century church, a first century group of believers to say, here is encouragement because we know who wins. From the very first week, as we were looking at this, in the very first chapter of Revelation, 
we have seen these visions filled with all of these, these prophecies. And I told you from day one, it wasn't necessarily a chronological, hey, here's chapter 1, verse 17, and then here's chapter 2, verse 12, and then here's chapter 3, chapter 4, 5, 6. It's not that it goes in chronological order. It is more of a cyclical look, vision on top of vision on top of vision, whereas in the first sets of visions, the second sets of visions, then the third sets of, sets of visions, we see the intensity, we see the judgment, we see the tribulation shown more clear, more vivid, with more destruction being unveiled. Think about all the things that we've seen so far. Going all the way back to chapter 2. Since that time, we have seen seven letters. We have seen seven seals. We've seen seven trumpets. We've seen seven visions. We've now, today, I just read for you a, a prophecy of seven bowls. In Revelation 2 and 3, we've seen the seven letters to the seven churches. Then, after a throne room scene in Revelation 4 and 5, starting in chapter 6, we are seeing the opening of these seven seals. At the end of the seven seals, at the beginning of chapter 8, we see the final judgment poured out upon the earth. But then, right after that, we see seven angels with these seven trumpets. And the judgment starts all over again, seemingly from the very beginning of tribulation. The cycles of these visions, John sees, increases. God intensifies the imagery with each vision to show His judgment. So what are we to do? Two points. First, we, the church of the living God, we, believers, born again, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the King, first, we worship. We worship. As all of this is unfolding as we see this imagery and it is terrible it should drive you and it should drive me to worship over the past few months God has been working in me and he's been working in others here at River Bend to look at the vision that he has for this church in January I'm going to spend weeks all of them, I thought, but with us not finishing Revelation, we may have to put Revelation off or uh, we'll just see how it goes. But in January, I'm going to preach through. There's five main areas that God has given me, given the leadership uh, here, aspects and areas for us to be as the church. One of them is the aspect of worship. And over the past couple of months... We have been massaging a couple of sentences to go and build upon this aspect of worship. Here's what we are calling it. I will come back in the coming weeks and not only do we have this for worship, but we have it for other aspects of the church and we'll unpack this. But it goes with where we are in Revelation chapter 15 and 16, that aspect of worship. And here's what we have come up and what we state as River Bend. What is worship? 
for Riverbend, worship is responding to God's worth. It is responding to God's worth. How do we do that? We are vibrantly responding in joy to who God is, what He has done, and what He has said. We have experienced Him and being enabled by His Spirit, we worship Him both gathered as the body and scattered in homes throughout the week. Presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, we live lives of worship to the only worthy one through prayer, reading of the word, giving, singing, and serving. As you and I see tribulation unfold, As you and I see Monday unfold, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, as we see our weeks unfold, what are we to be about doing? We are to be about worship. One of the reasons you are here. You're here. You're on this earth right now. It is to worship and respond to the Father so that the world might see there's a difference in you and there's a difference in me. That was happening in Revelation chapter 15. If you look there in in chapter 15, verse number 2, it states, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast its image and the number on its name of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and they sing the song of the lamb and they break out in song they break out in worship it is a picture that they have already beaten the dragon they have already defeated the prophet, they have already defeated the beast, they have already defeated all those with the name or their numbers on their head or their foreheads, and they are praising God. All of chapter 15 is that. And then even in the middle of chapter 16, as the bowls of wrath, and we'll look at them in just a second, but as the bowls of wrath are being poured out, as that fourth bowl of wrath is there, he hears an angel in charge of the waters. And he says, you have done this. You have brought these judgments down. You have, uh, they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Yes, Lord, God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Time and time again, those who are gods are praising His name even in the midst of tribulation. Chapter 16 is one of the most vivid and unfolding parts of the imagery that is seen. Because there, this image, it's a third cycle. It's a third set of imagery. First we had the seals, then we had the trumpets, and now we have the bowls of wrath that are being poured out. With the the seals, the first one, a quarter of the earth was affected. With the trumpets, a third of the earth, it intensified. And now we see as these bowls are poured out, all of earth. Is affected. The first seal, the first trumpet, and now the first bowl of wrath all are tied together, as with the second, all the way through the seventh. 
the first bowl of wrath, that first angel there in verse number 2, it poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Every single person that had the mark of the beast, that had it either on his right hand or on his forehead or her right hand or her forehead, every single person now has sores and they are painful. And it's all an aspect of the wrath of God coming on sinful mankind. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. Just as these seven plagues, these seven bowls of wrath, we have looked back in in Exodus at the plagues of Egypt. There is a correlation back and forth with the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, and also all the plagues that were back there in Egypt. But here they pour the bowl into the sea and it all became like blood of a corpse. A third poured his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. There is no water. God is taking away the seas. It is now blood. He's taking away all the rivers and the springs. There is no water. It is an aspect of judgment that he is bringing on all the earth. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And it was allowed to scorch people with fire. This is uh, not a first degree sunburn that we get if we stay out without any sunblock on. The fire of the sun scorches and burns as judgment. I don't know about you, but when I sin... You can ask Paige or the kids. Don't ask the kids. They'll straight up tell you. Paige might try to dodge it. But, but when I sin, don't look over there. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. When I sin, which is often, sin in my attitude or I sin in words, I sin in, in actions. As a son of the king, guilt comes on. As a believer, there is guilt And it is given to me by the Father to what? To bring me back to Him. Do I go back to Him immediately? I wish that I could stand and say every single time. Every single time that I first feel guilty. Every single time that it is first shown to me by the Father. Hey, you're not acting like a son you're acting like something else, why don't you come back to me? I wish that I would say, yep, I do. But there is that aspect of the Holy Spirit who puts it inside a believer to say, hey, you're doing something wrong. Stop it and come back to me. Chapter 16 shows us what the world does when they do wrong. What the world does when they are faced with the righteous judgment and justice of the King of Kings. Look there in verse number uh, 9. 
They're scorched with fire, with the fierce heat. And here's what the world does. They curse the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent. They did not give Him glory. Verse number number 10, the people gnawed their tongues in anguish because of this fifth angel pouring out His bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. They gnawed their tongues in anguish and they cursed God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Every single time as the intensity is there, every single time as they are shown their terrible deeds... All they do is throw their fist up to the Father and say, we're not repenting. Oh. One preacher and commentator that I looked at this week stated it this way. It's as if the rapist, as if the murderer who is dead to rights caught, comes before the judge and the judge pronounces the sentencing and says, you're guilty and you will die. Stands up in the courtroom, that rapist, that murderer, stands up there and says, no, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're bad. And that's what all of creation, those that are not following Christ, those that have the mark of the beast, that they do as the judgments of God are being poured out. What God desires is for none to perish, but all to have eternal life. And as He is trying to draw those people to their senses, draw those people to to Himself, they are shaking their fists, cursing God, and will not repent. This is a great reminder that God in these passages that God here in chapter 15 and chapter 16 those that have bowed the knee and confessed with the mouth that Jesus is Lord God does not fear the enemy. He has conquered the enemy. He has thrown the enemy into the pit in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. We're going to see the same thing a couple of chapters from now over in chapter 19. But what you and I must remember as we worship is that God is sovereign over all. He is is to be feared by all. He is to be glorified above all. He is holy in all of His attributes. He is righteous in all of His ways. And the clear conclusion is that He is infinitely worthy of our worship for now and forever. Second, as I come to a close, what are we to do in the midst of understanding this, in the midst of seeing these bowls being poured out and the wrath that is to come? We worship and also we witness. Mankind has, no, not just mankind, we 
often have denounced the sovereignty of the living God. He is over every single thing and he is bringing his end to his creation. Too often we have disregarded the fear of God. Our view of God is that he is low instead of high. Our view of God is that, hey, we'll put him on the bookshelf, so to speak, and every time that I need him, every time that there's something that I can't do, I'll go and I'll ask him, hey, will you come help me in this situation? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, usually I can get through those, but maybe there's something that comes up, I need you, will you come and help me with this? And then we go and put him back on the shelf. We quickly, quickly lose sight of his greatness and of his glory. We have defamed the glory of the living God. We have dishonored the holiness, the set apart, the just aspect of the living God. David Platt, in a uh, sermon, told a story. He told a story about one of his church members by the name of Azim, who was living in Birmingham, got saved in Birmingham, but now is back in the Middle East in a closed country. As a missionary, he is there. and He stated this. Let me just read this two-paragraph story for you and close my sermon on it. Realize this. Don't miss this. The measure of sin, the measure of your sin, the measure of my sin is determined by the magnitude of the one who is sinned against. Think about it this way. If you sin against a log, you're not very guilty. If you sin against a man or you sin against a woman, they are, you are absolutely guilty. And ultimately, if you sin against an infinitely holy God, you are infinitely guilty. Azim, an Arab follower of Jesus and former member of this church, Brook Hills over in Birmingham, is now back in the Middle East. He was sharing the gospel recently with a taxi driver in his Muslim country. And the driver believed that he would pay for his sin for a little while in hell, but then he would surely go to heaven after that. After all, he hadn't done too many bad things. So Azim said to him, if I slapped you in the face, if I slapped you in the face, what would you do? The driver replied, I'd throw you out of my taxi. Azim stated, okay. What, what if I just go up to a man on the street and I slap him in the face? What do you think will happen to me? The driver said he would probably call his friends and they'd beat you up. <coughs> Azim asked, what if I went up to a policeman and I slapped him in the face? What would he do to me? The driver replied, you would be beat up for sure and then thrown into jail. Then Azim asked this question. What if I went into the palace of the king of this country and I slapped him in the face? What would he do to me? The taxi driver stated, you would die. To, then to this, Azim stated, 
So you see, the severity of sin's punishment is always a reflection of those of the position of the person who is sinned against. And the taxi driver realized that he had severely underestimated the seriousness of his sin against God. Mankind, from Adam to today, all of us, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The clear conclusion is unavoidable. We are infinitely deserving of God's eternal wrath. Therefore, those of us who know the answer, we have the cure. We must witness with urgency because of all of this. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, and the wrath of God in its totality is about to be poured out on the earth. With all of this coming, we must share the gospel of Jesus with those around us today, with those around us tomorrow, with those around us this week, with those around His world. Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be Not just another notch in our belt to try to understand what is going on in Revelation chapter 15 or chapter 16 or the book as a whole, but Father, that it would be a wake-up call. That Father, you are infinite in your word. And that we are to be worshiping you day and night from this moment throughout eternity. And Father, that your judgment is sure. You, you have stated through prophets about your son, even as he came as a baby, that he would be the one that would bring a rising to many in Israel, that he would be the one that is the Savior of the world, that he would be the one who is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Father, that is familiar to my ears. Lord, I would say that's familiar to most every single person that is here. With its familiarity, Father, would you put urgency in us that we would go and tell the marching orders for your children are to worship. Father, it is that we are to witness. To witness of what you have done, of who you are, of what you have said, of what you have done in us. Father, would you draw us? The altar is open this morning for you and for me to come back to the Father. 
Maybe the focus has been on the presence. Maybe the focus has been on the family. Work, trying to get everything done before the holiday. Our focus must be on the King. Would you stand and would you sing? If you need me to pray with you, I'll be more than happy to pray with you. But above anything else, would you obey what God has been speaking to you this morning? Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price. Worthy is thy 
sing this chorus one more time. Just worthy is the Lamb. Man, let's sing it with everything we got. He is fully worthy of all of our lives. He's fully worthy of all of our praise. Man, he's so good. Amen. Um, tonight, don't forget we have Christmas music service. Look forward to seeing you at six o'clock tonight. It's going to be a great time. Um, let's stand and we'll sing these words one more time. Worthy is the Lamb. Tonight at six.